welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have Reverend Cindy join us for a conversation about disability. Together, we talk about the white older man syndrome, what it means to deny your self-assistance, and acknowledging your disability. Y'all, it was such a pleasure to have this conversation with Cindy. She is such a bright and warm light, and I love her message that you are enough. I don't know if we can hear that enough, (laughs) you know, that message. Uh, So many things are always telling us that we need to do more, do more, do more to be worthy. And so it is such a beautiful reminder that regardless of what you have or have not done, you are enough today. So y'all tune in. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to download the new Bumble now. Is there anything specific that you want to use this time to talk about that we could aim the conversation towards? I don't know. I mean, you know, I do a lot of stuff. It's all disability related, but it's church related too. And Mm. what are you interested in? And then I can kind of figure out where that goes. I try to leave it as open as possible to leave it a space for whoever comes on to talk about what they want to talk about. So I want to hear what you're passionate about, which is a lot of what probably your personal story, how you got into this, what you do is kind of where I usually go. But like the very specifics of, you know, topics, ideas, I leave very open. So maybe a good place to start would be kind of telling me what you do, how you work Mm. in this space, a little bit more about, yeah, you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, we can do that. Are we ready? Yeah, yeah. Whenever you're ready, start telling me, yeah, what do you do in this space? Well, I'm an ordained Lutheran pastor, Mm -hmm. and uh, I have a disability. And what that means is that the church is not always welcoming to people with disabilities. So I have two things that happen. Is Number one is that trying to go through the process to become ordained is problematic. And also the fact that the community doesn't necessarily think that they have a need for church because the church has been kind of like not as welcoming to people with disabilities, mm. which sounds funny. I guess you could say it's in some ways kind of like LGBTQIA is that the church wasn't really welcoming. So people left and went somewhere else. And the same thing is with disability. Mm. People are not welcomed, and so they just ignore it. So when I say to my friends in the community that I feel called to ministry and that I'm going through process to become ordained, mm-hmm. some of them have said, why would you do that? You know, it's yeah. just foreign. And this topic of modern anarchy, changing the system, mm-hmm. I guess that's what my life is mm-hmm. on two fronts. One is getting people with disabilities to understand that they can do anything they want and that they should not allow society just to box them in. 
And then also trying to get the society to change to not box us in. (laughs) So I just think about how do you get the system to change? So for the church, I can beat on their door all day long and they'll never change. But if I become someone on the inside, if I become an ordained pastor, then I'm inside the system and I can work for change from within. And I will tell you, it's hard. I can imagine. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I guess anytime people are change agents, you have to, you have to figure out where you think the point of, you know, there's a, usually a crack and you can kind of get your nose in and wedge it open and then crack it open. So you have to kind of figure out where that crack is. And I think a lot of times we try to just beat on the door. Sometimes that is exhausting and maybe not so successful. doesn't mm-hmm. move the needle. So I figure just go the other way and see if we can find the crack on the inside. Certainly. Uh, yeah, that's one way to make a lot of change. <laughs> Could you tell me more about why you felt called to do this work? I think that God loves us all. And sometimes people with disabilities feel unloved. And so I guess from an early age, I felt called to do this work. You know, I was young. I was like six or seven when I, I guess mostly six when, when I first felt called. And, you know, when you're six, you don't know and you don't know what it is and what it, you just keep going forward. So I think that maybe that's the call is to help people understand that in easy language is you are enough. You're enough. Whatever you are, that's enough. It's more than enough. So that's, that's kind of like where I am now, but the story's long. And that's, hey, that's what I'm here for. I'm ready for this long story. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think what would be helpful mm. for your listeners to hear. Certainly. I mean, I think that my viewership is very agnostic, probably very atheistic background. I would imagine a lot of people, specifically because I talk a lot about leaving the church and spiritual trauma and those sorts of things on my podcast. So, yeah, I mean, but regardless of that, I feel like there's still so much truth in your own journey. People don't fall into these roles just randomly. There's usually a lot of personal, you know, ties. Were there ever times where you felt like you weren't enough? Yeah, I mean, and anyone can resonate with that. And I think that's the beauty of hopefully what this podcast is, is that we connect through these common, you know, experiences when we feel like we're alone, but truly we have community in that. Yeah. 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 So I think all of your story is important is what I'm trying to say. Well, you know, um, when I was, I had polio Mm -hmm. and, you know, all the stuff about vaccine now, I had polio before the polio vaccine. So that tells you I'm an old person. (laughs) And I had polio right at the time that the vaccine was coming out. Mm. So what that means is that I was cute and I was white and I used crutches. So they asked me to be the poster child for St. Louis. And everybody thinks, you know, all the stuff about poster children. Well, these were the original poster children. Mm. And so then the vaccine came out and I was in my first grade class and the teacher passed out a, a flyer because they were trying to get get vaccinated. And uh, she said, oh, we have a flyer here with Cynthia's photo on it. And I'm thinking, oh, what photo did they use? You know, it's all the professional photos that the March of Dimes used to get people to donate. And so I get this flyer, you know, you're in the chairs, you know, how in in an elementary school, they're in lines. And so they Mm -hmm, pass mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. back from the first chair to the second. And I'm like four chairs back. and, And I'm wondering, what is it? And so I see this flyer. And on one side was two kids running in a playground or 
a field and on my side was me with my crutches and braces and then over their picture it said this and over my picture it said not this wow I wanted to crawl under my desk I thought what did they do and I'm six so I mean even at six I knew that was not good and so I went home and I told my mom I said mom they can't use my photos anymore thinking back I think that was pretty adult yeah you know but I said they can't use my photos anymore Mm -hmm. and in that instance that vignette I understood how society viewed people with disabilities Mm. and I thought who wouldn't want to be like me I'm a great person right (laughs) even as a as a kid I'm thinking why wouldn't they want to be like me I'm smart and cute Mm -hmm. I mean you know and so from that I guess I always understood that that had to change. That vignette was left alone for a while, but it picked up a while later. I I actually hadn't remembered it. And then a friend of mine who was, he actually wrote a book. His name is Joe Shapiro, and he's a reporter for NPR radio. This was before that. And he wrote a book called No Pity. And so he used my story as as the lead chapter in his book. And it really started me thinking about how I'd actually blocked all that memory out. I mean, all of a sudden it was like everywhere. And so it it regained a momentum for, Mm. you know, what we do. Aside from that story, in the meantime, in 75, I approached the bishop and said, I felt called. Mm -hmm. And he said, at the time I was in the Episcopal church, and he said, but you're short, overweight, handicapped, and female. Like that. Just like that. And I thought, whoa, this ain't happening. And and so I let that go. And I was working on a magazine. A friend of mine was starting a magazine called Mainstream. And it was a magazine for people with disabilities. And I kind of joined his forces to make this happen. And so we worked to try to get the people with disabilities to see whatever was happening. Disability wasn't covered very well. And there's a lot of people who have a disability that don't claim their disability. You know, it's like passing. You can you can get by until something happens where you can't. Mm. And then there's a crisis because people don't want to claim their disability because society has a bad, such a bad view of disability. Mm. Who wants to be disabled? So what you need to do, what I need to do is try to help people see that it's not only okay to have a disability, it's great to have a disability. And I don't mean that in some kind of Pollyanna way. People with disabilities are some of the most creative people I know. They have to be. Yes. <laughs> By definition. Mm-hmm. To exist in a world that is not made for them. Yes. And so when you think of, you know, what are the good things about having disabilities, it causes you to stretch your creative muscle. And so I think that's, that's a good thing. But most people don't think of that. They just think of the negative things and they think of the limitations and they think of, I wouldn't want to be like that. There's a group called Not Dead Yet. Mm. And it's about combating being against assisted suicide. Mm. And they're because the medical model thinks it's okay that people with disabilities, you know, our life isn't that valuable. It isn't worth living. Mm. So so when it comes time where you might need your ill or whatever, you know, it's kind of an easy step to say, well, you know, maybe it's your time, but not dead yet. This group is saying, wait a minute, 
before we go to that end, we have to say, does everybody have medical, their medical needs met? Do we have our social needs met? Can you get what you need? Because oftentimes that piece is just leapfrogged. Mm-hmm. Nobody's even thinking about, well, what would someone ha- need to live independently or even in their family? You know, so sometimes the pressures are great. And so it causes people to not choose to continue fighting because it's hard, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that in life is worth living. And mm-hmm. I think that it's unfortunate that people don't see what I see. Yeah. You know? um, they, it's the same thing as that poster. You know, they see these kids running and they see me on crutches. They say, I don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, why? I'm great. But, yeah. but the general population is not so receptive. And what I think is that the, what I call the white older man syndrome. Mm, Love it. And what that is, is that because white men and older men have privilege, you know, Mm -hmm. they have power and privilege. The last thing they want to do is be disabled. So I often see people who are older white men, they would never use a a scooter or a whatever. They just, they won't do that Mm -hmm. because it's saying that they have a disability and now their status is lowered. You know how yeah. the hierarchy. Right. So they will <laughs> go to great extremes not yeah. to need any assistance. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? Mm. What that means is that they've lost years of life. Things they could be doing, they're not doing because it's too hard. Instead of allowing assistance or help or technology or whatever, Many and not just white men, but that's where I see it the most is that they'd rather just, I want to say limp along because they'd rather not be identified. Mm. So what does it mean for you to be someone that has a disability? Well, I do have a disability and I claim it. It's it's mm-hmm. part of who I am. It's an identity. And the way you know it's an identity is when you get a group of people together who have disabilities, mm-hmm. at least physical disabilities. Yeah. The first thing they talk about is bathrooms. Mm. And it sounds funny, but do you know where a good bathroom is? Yeah. There's a lot of bad bathrooms. Once you, you get stuck in, you can't use. So everybody that I know when, when we're, you know, it's just kind of one of these things. So people start sharing their experiences around disabilities. So it is an identity. Yes, I have a physical impairment, but the disability is really a core of who I am. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then I think it's up to each individual to choose how much they identify their identity in these different pieces, right? Because you have many different identities along with many different people. And so then it is your choice of where you place who you are compared to society, which is trying to define you by that one and see you in only that one light. Right. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I marvel. I'm married. We've we met at the White House Conference on Handicapped Individuals in 1977. Wow. And my husband uses a power wheelchair and I use a scooter. Mm-hmm. And I marvel at how we function. Sometimes I think, how do we survive all this time? And it really is an amazing thing when I look at it. Yeah, tell me um, about it. Well, you know, it's like little things that other people don't think about and, and what's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to say cleaning my house is not important. Because I like to use my energy for other things. And Mm. in the end, all we have is our energy and time. So we have to decide where do we put our energy and time. Sometimes we prioritize differently. But 
you know, but we come up with stupid solutions for things that other people don't even have to think about. Creative solutions. Yeah. Yeah. Creative solutions. Just things like Bill's wheelchair was higher than the bed and he has to transfer over across. So, so our bed's a little high on one end because we put like blankets, towels under the mattress so that it raised the mattress just an mm-hmm. inch. It only needed to be yeah. an inch, but that inch was important. Right. So, you know, and so it's like, instead of like saying, okay, well, we have to remodel the whole house. No, let's just see what we can do to make this work. Right. But other stuff too. And I think about how we help each other. Hmm. You know, like Bill gets coffee in bed every morning. Oh, wow. And that's because it takes him a long time to get up. And so I bring him coffee so that get you know start the day and and for me what he does is sometimes I have so many thoughts that he kind of keeps me on track Mm. you know it's like so so what are you doing today (laughs) he keeps you organized yeah he says I'm your organizer I I think yeah you probably are and I love it it's it's just we depend on each other for different things and Mm. and yet we get a lot done we published a magazine. We published mm-hmm. mainstream magazine during the time of the ADA. Our job in getting the ADA passed, Americans with Disabilities Act passed, mm-hmm. was keeping the drumbeat going. And the drumbeat was, no matter what was said in Congress, the answer was no weakening amendments. Mm. No matter what they said, no weakening amendments. And they said, well, this isn't weakening. We said, no weakening amendments. Every month, it's like for your podcast. If every podcast you had to get in, no yeah. weakening amendments or keeping people writing their congressman or if their congressman right. come home for their, their district, yeah. you have to make an appointment. What they won't see me. That's okay. You can you can be outside the door. They're going to have to see you. Mm-hmm. You know, so if they won't give you an appointment, you can make your presence known other ways. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was at many demonstrations during the ADA times and mm-hmm. the group that's notorious for demonstrating is ADAPT. There was a lot of coverage of them during the, the healthcare stuff, and they, they were in the rotunda and got arrested. Mm-hmm. They always get arrested. Mm. But the thing is, is that they hardly ever get coverage for being arrested. In other words, somebody can get arrested in Seattle. Five people get arrested, and it's big news. hundred yeah. people get arrested on disability issues, and, and there's very little coverage. Mm-hmm. So that's part of trying to, to get the message out is yeah. how do you get the message out when you don't have coverage when people don't mm. think it's an issue mm-hmm. so they don't see it and partly they don't see because they don't want to see it yes exactly and I would love if you could talk a little bit more about what the ADA is I think that a lot of listeners might not even especially people who are younger who are born with that already being something that existed will have no idea what that truly did and how it shaped America um, yeah and how it shaped you. America Thank you. I forget that that's the truth. And the whole generation, it's been 30 years. Yeah. The ADA was passed July 26, 1990. It was almost unanimous in Congress. I think only 24 people between Senate and House voted against it. Mm-hmm. And it was President George H. W. Bush, the father. So it was a Republican president that got this through. And that's weird. People don't understand that because it's kind of a Democratic thing. But disability, when it gets to that level is bipartisan. It really is. And Mm -hmm. how it got passed was that we just knew that everybody in Congress had had a family member or someone close to them who had a disability. The numbers are 20% of the population. So if you think about yourself or your friends or your family, almost everybody we know, every family 
has somebody. It might be your parents. It might be your children, it, it, your aunt. I mean, so you don't have to look far. Right. And so when you think about unleashing the power of disability, it's a big deal. And so when people talk to their congressmen, congressmen all knew somebody. And so the stories would be things like, I can't get on the bus. I can't get to work because I can't get on the bus. Yeah. Come on, can I not get on the bus? I can't cross the street because there's no curb cuts. The, mm. There were no curb, you know, those little ramps. Yeah. Some of them have little yellow dots on them. Well, before that, they were just curbs, concrete. And it was like a four inch step or five inch step, whatever it is. So you couldn't cross the street. Wow. And if you got somewhere, you could never go to the bathroom because there were none. There were, I don't, I shouldn't say none. So few accessible yeah. bathrooms. And before 1968, which was before the ADA, there basically were none. Mm. So if you went shopping, you couldn't change clothes to try on clothes because the, the, the dressing rooms are not accessible. Wow. I mean, that, that's provided you could get in to the store in the first place, which right. you might not have been able to do. When you go to a restaurant, sometimes they wouldn't serve you because other patrons didn't want to watch you eat. Wow. Um, sometimes, more likely, you had to go in past the trash cans because restaurants would be, have steps in the front. And the only accessible way to get into the restaurant was how the freight comes in, you know, yeah. so it comes in. Usually there's a steep ramp at the back of a store, mm. and that's how we would get in. And education, before 1975, children with disabilities didn't have a right to an education. You know, going to kindergarten, first grade, none of that. They would maybe provide you with a tutor at home mm. for a couple hours a week. And getting to college, colleges didn't have to take you because they didn't have to, provided you had an education. So yeah. you have to think about courts. Courts were not accessible. So if everyone talks about having their day in court, maybe not. And so there's just everything. Every, airlines. Well, the airlines weren't covered by the ADA, by the way. The airlines were covered by an act of Congress called the Air Carriers Access Act. Mm. That was in 1986. And when you fly, and I haven't been on a plane in a while because of the pandemic, but it used to be when you got on the plane and you were in an exit row seat, if you've ever ridden in yeah. an exit row, and they used to say on the loudspeaker and the plane, in order to sit in the exit row, you have to be able to see the instructions, read the instructions, understand the instructions, hear the instructions and do the instructions. Have you ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for sure. that was a negotiation huh. by the disability community with the airline industry. The airline industry said disabled people can't, someone blind can't sit in the, in the exit row. Hmm. And the blind groups say, why not? If there's mm. no lights on in the plane, who's better to be in the exit row than blind people? Yeah. And they couldn't argue with that. Mm. So what they had to do was spell out who could not be in the exit row. Mm. Now, who else couldn't be in an exit row now? Babies, young children, people yeah. who were drinking too much. Before this Air Carriers Access Act, you could be drunk in the exit aisle. Wow. You could have a baby in the exit aisle. That's not helpful. So in a lot of ways, every time I got on a plane for a long time, and they read that, I was proud. Mm. And so we did that. Yeah. I mean, I, the historical context of the ADA, I think is very important for a lot of people who are younger, who might not even know what this world used to be like and how it was just not functional for anybody that had a differently abled body yeah. at all. Yeah. Yeah. 
was trying to think some of the most egregious things. Oh, grocery stores used to have barricades so that their carts couldn't leave. They, mm-hmm. Like yeah. nowadays, you, you take the cart out to your car anyway, right? Yeah. Well, in those days, you couldn't take the cart out because there was a barrier. You couldn't take the cart out of the store. Huh. So, of course, that's kind of stupid. But people with who used mobility devices couldn't get in the store. Wow. You had to get a manager to open the store, the gate to let you in. So it, it sounds kind of stupid when you think about it. Uh, movie theaters yeah. didn't have access. That was a big deal. Actually, when you think about the amount of change, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. How do you look at the change having been present before and after the passing of the act? How do you look at it now looking back? I think a lot's happened, but a lot hasn't. Mm-hmm. We're only halfway, a third of the way done. We need people to press for this. You know, when you see something's wrong, you need to speak up. And because the ADA doesn't, the Americans with Disabilities Act doesn't just cover people with disabilities. Say, for example, we're going to a movie mm-hmm. and I'm discriminated against in that movie theater and we're going together. You're discriminated too because we're together. So it isn't just the person with a disability that can be harmed. It can be their companion. It can be the parent mm-hmm. or the child. So it's really meant to be everybody's covered. Yeah. And little by little, the Supreme Court has whittled it down to mm. a smaller and smaller group, which is unfortunate because what I say is if you live long enough, everyone will have a disability. Mm. And the alternative is you don't live long enough. Yeah. The reality, right? It is true. And so it's in everybody's best interest to work for disability rights. Mm. It's not, you know, of all the isms, ableism, you know, you think of sexism or racism, you know, all of those in general, although there's some exceptions, you can't change from one to the other. But in disability, what we say about people who are not disabled is you're only temporarily non-disabled. Just wait. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so I, you know, spreading that message is actually good because Mm -hmm. people who who think of themselves as young and non-disabled and they don't think about it, they go skiing and they can break their neck. Yeah. They get in a car accident. They could get COVID and have lung damage. Mm -hmm. It's severe. And it happens, I don't want to say regularly, but yeah, regularly. When you're Mm non-disabled and you think about disability as I don't want to be disabled. Now you become disabled. What do you think about yourself? Right. Right. You don't have good feeling about yourself. You know, so I think the work of helping people understand Mm. this who don't consider themselves disabled is actually important work. And think about how the difference is if if we don't have that stigma, if we Mm. don't treat others in that way. Mm. Right. I mean, world's a different place. Right. And we're a different person because our world's larger now. And, and I do use physical more because I have a physical disability, but hearing impairment, uh, blind, uh, mental impairment. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, all the, you know, just lots and lots of stuff. Right. And if you add it all up, it's a lot. Yeah, that's why I was shocked by your 20% statistic. I would think it'd be even higher with the mental health Especially after COVID, a lot of people are not doing so well currently. Yeah. Yeah. It might be when they do the next round Mm. of numbers, but uh, that's been pretty much the number for a while. Like car crashes, car injuries Mm -hmm. has gone down because of safety belts and, 
you know, mm-hmm. other stuff, you know, things happen and the numbers change. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, the thing about the mental impairments, mental yeah, disability, me. that when we were passing the ADA, when we were working to pass it, we weren't throwing anybody away. We weren't carving out anybody. And I say that may have been the wrong words, but you know, it's kind of like negotiation, right? And they said, well, what if we do this? We're not doing that. What if we do? No, we're not doing that. This is an all. This is an all. And uh, I'm proud of us for that, by the way. Yes, as you should be. It's amazing. Yeah. And so many people are benefiting from that work that you did. So thank you. I was a small cog. I mean, there's lots of people, an army of people. And when, when we work to pass it, you know, like they say, like the Million Man March or one of those things, no one saw this big march, right? There was no mm-hmm. big march in Washington. Why? Because you couldn't get there on the plains. There weren't hotels that were accessible. Right. The trains were Yeah, I mean, right. it just, you could not get mm-hmm. that many people. It, would, it just couldn't happen. And so what happened to get it passed was in each district, each congressional district is how it happened. Wow. It's very powerful. I would love if you could share a little bit more about, you mentioned that people need to continue the fight for more change. I think that a lot of people and, you know, myself included with our different levels of privilege and ableism might not even know what the problem is, to be very frank, right? We have the ADA, we have all these things. What, what is missing? You said this is a third can you tell me and listeners here what is missing? Well, for one thing, employment. Yeah. And that's part of the ADA, but we still see only like 33%. Like when mm-hmm. you say uh, unemployment numbers versus employment numbers, mm-hmm. there's a whole big thing about, you know, unemployment it doesn't add up to 100% because some people are unemployed, not working because they're having a baby or some people mm-hmm. are unemployed because they're going to college. That mm-hmm. doesn't count. But yeah. with the number that, does count is participation in workforce. How many people would like to have a job if they could find a job? So for that number, people with disabilities are at about 33% and Mm. people without disabilities are at about 76%. Wow. So, so that's all, it's a big difference. And why does that happen? You know, Mm. I know that in the past there's been, what do you call it? Secret shoppers kind of thing where (laughs) people go in, they have the same resume. Right? Uh-huh, right. Everything's the same. And in fact, sometimes they have the people who are non-disabled have a not so good resume. Mm-hmm. And the person with a disability never gets hired. Mm. So we can look at who we're not, who we're not counting, who we're mm-hmm. discounting. Right. And how do our biases affect who we hire? And is that good or bad? You know, I just told you that people with disabilities are really creative because we're forced to be creative. Right. And yet you think that the companies would be snapping snapping us up mm. but that's not the case so if some of your listeners yeah are in a position to hire they might think about how do they look for workers employers employees and how, what kinds of systems are in place that would automatically discriminate against somebody mm. like if you're online and and you're blind and you don't have the reading technology right we can't see each other on zoom if we're blind We can't, you know, so some of the actual processes now because of technology have actually made it harder. So we have to think about how are we contributing to this? And since your people are into 
anarchy, maybe we can stir this up a little bit. Yeah. These are the things I want to hear about. How do you even begin to change that, though? Because I think the reason why they're not hiring is because of the medical model and all these other stories that we hear about what it means to be disabled. And it's like, how do you combat that if you're not the person that is there making the hiring process, right? This is, it's so big and at times it feels overwhelming. And so, yeah, I would love to hear your insight of like, what can we do on smaller levels? How do we actually take back that power and support too? Well, you know, if you're in a business or a small, you know, if you're a worker or in a small business or a large business, Mm. look around and how many people with disabilities do you see in the workplace? And you might say, so you might go to your HR people and say, you know, I've noticed that we don't have many people with disabilities here. What can we do to help hire more people? The other thing you can do is that if you know someone with a disability mm-hmm. and you know that the company's hiring someone, you might be able to suggest them. And if you're in the company, you know, you're working there, then you can kind of recommend people because you're there already and you yeah. know them. So it's kind of word of mouth. So there's ways that you can help just by recommending people uh, that you know. And that means you have to know some people with disabilities. We have to circulate in different areas. We have to get to know each other. Certainly. And then it's tricky, though, even for the people that have disabilities that aren't visible in that space, right? So that employee comes up and says that, and then, you know, but equally then they're making massive assumptions about all the other people that might not have a physically presenting disability. Yes, that's true. So then it's tricky. So then then it's like, okay, what do you do, right? Because it's like you don't want to make the assumption you have none because maybe you do have them or even them. Yeah, this is where I get into these tricky spots where it's like, okay, how do we actually do this in a way that respects the possibility of all of it and supports? Yeah. And then I think this is how it gets dropped is it becomes complicated. Yeah. So maybe the idea is just that if you have a friend who has, has a disability of any kind, yeah. When there's a job opening, you help them, mm. you know, you recommend them, you, you know, because then you're not making the assumption that there aren't people in your workforce, yeah. but you could also go to HR and say, I've seen this and you're looking at physical, you know, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if, if we've looked at, you know, what is our hiring practice around disability? And that would include yeah. everything. Yeah. You know, and then, what else? Oh gosh. I think about restaurants and, and in mm. theory, they're, they should be good. But in reality, restaurants are tough, tough. And, you know, it's like you go there and the one accessible table is taken by someone who's not needing it. Mm. And so then it's like, well, you can wait for the next table, which is that table, which is going to be an hour, you know, or whatever it is. So, I mean, as the access becomes more universally designed, Mm -hmm. then then it's then I could take any table, Mm. you know, as long as it's only that one special table. I'll tell you a pet peeve I have. Tell me. A pet yeah. peeve I have is, have you ever gone into a place like a store or maybe a medical thing where they have a lowered counter? Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a raised counter for most people who are standing. Then they have right. a lowered counter for people who come in in wheelchairs or, or scooters. Mm-hmm. Well, next time you go somewhere like that, notice that the lowered counter is never staffed and it mm-hmm. usually has a plant on it as if they never use it. There's no computer there. It's not really mm-hmm. a workstation. It's only... They had to put that in to get approved for the building code. Mm. So they have that in, but it's not functional. So just trying to get them to actually use the things that they've had to put in place. Isn't that stupid? Yes, completely. 
yeah, I'm sorry that you have to even deal with that. So trying to knock on people's door and make sure it keeps moving forward, trying to change the system, it's Mm. a lot. I know. Yeah. What What do you work on changing? What do I work on changing? I think that hopefully I work on changing the way that people look at mental health. I think that's definitely one of the big things within my realm of psychology and this podcast specifically, and hopefully changing people's understanding of the diversity of the human experience, right? Um, I hope that's what a lot of this does, to have different stories of different humans, their truth that they have from their wisdom on this earth, and to, yeah, just get out of our horse perspective, horse blinder perspective, I feel like sometimes, and to in that expand and find more empathy and compassion for other people. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I hope for. But I mean, yeah. I th- and I think part of that is having conversations like this where we take time to break down the ableist perspective and hold a space for that for people to listen in on a conversation like this where maybe yeah. they can hear parts of, you know, things that they've never even thought about because of their privilege and then in that make change. There's a There was a movie out called Crip Camp. Did you see mm-hmm. it? No, I have not. And it, it was up for Academy Award on, it was a documentary. Mm-hmm. It was like an hour and a half. It was nominated, but didn't win. We lost to an octopus. I say we. Oh, that, my octopus teacher. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. We all love that story. And so Crip Camp was about camp for kids with disabilities, teenagers. Oh. And what happened in this place, it was a real mm-hmm. documentary. They found old footage from the 70s. Can you believe it? Mm. And what happened was, the people at Camp Jeanette kind of understood who they were and their power. They claimed their identity as people with disabilities. And this wasn't like what was supposed to happen, but it just happened. And many of them became the leaders in the disability rights movement, which then wow. worked past the ADA. And right. so that's the story. And it's and the reason that's exciting is movies about disability are usually pretty smarmy, pretty uh, gaggy. But this movie got critical acclaim it was it was the audience favorite at Sundance the year before and we were happy about that Mm. we I'm I had no part in it other than I know the people who did it but the community felt excited that we actually had a movie that represented us well right which is huge it's huge there's a whole whole lack of representation within media Right. We're, we're just trying to change the normal day to day. We're talking about the normal day to day changes that are needed, let alone representation in media. That is a whole nother level that is truly, truly lacking. Yeah. So that is exciting in so many ways I could understand. And I'll definitely have to put it in the show notes and check it out. I yeah, have not seen it. Right. You know, so much stuff to do. I, yes, no, I know. Well, and I, this is also why I appreciate your perspective of the crack, right? You find the crack that you're passionate about and try to wedge your, you know, way into that and make that change. Cause otherwise you can get bogged down in the grand immense problems that is the existence in our world and our society. So yes, talking about the crack, (laughs) keeping our focus, but I'm curious, have you ever heard, I'm sure you've heard this argument or the thoughts around the concept of differently abled versus disabled. Yes. The language. Yeah. Uh When I published the magazine Mainstream, there was a contest that someone was awarded $50,000 for coming up with another name mm-hmm. for disabled and differently abled was that. And the community generally, well, we kind of settled on P 
people with disabilities. That's why it's called the Americans with Disabilities Act, because you mm -hmm. say the people first, the Americans first, and they have a disability. So mm -hmm. that thing. But there's kind of this swing back to disabled because mm -hmm. identity first politics would be disabled person. It's kind of funny because for a long time, I was still saying disabled person, disabled mm -hmm. people. And, and all of a sudden, everyone was saying when Americans with disabilities. It's like, OK, yeah. OK, well, I don't care. You know, but now it's gone the other way. It's going mm. the other way. Mm. So, so I think as we claim our disabilities, that gives us power. Mm. You know, as long as we're all individual, and that I'm not saying anything bad about being an individual, but as long mm. as we're each one trying to work on their own thing, mm. and we don't have any power because we're one person. Right. So as we get together, then that identity politics creates a big group of people. That's why... Mm. If everybody who knew someone with a disability or, or who had a disability worked on this stuff, I mean, heaven knows every person in Congress would have a disability because if we voted like a block, it would be big, right. you know, but they don't want to claim their disability. So I'm out there trying to say if we did, it would be powerful. It's like when people were gay and didn't want to claim their gayness, they didn't have any power because they were mm -hmm. hiding. And when people come out. Now, all of a sudden, I mean, it's been a sea change in the last 20 years, a sea change, because mm -hmm. people started saying, this is who I am, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. And that's the same thing with disability pride. I'm proud of it. Yeah. When you say that, do you mean going from acknowledgement to pride or just acknowledgement? Are you focusing on that to people who don't even know that they're disabled? Acknowledgement. Once they acknowledge, then they're going to go to pride. It's a natural progression, mm. but maybe not, I think so. No, sure. With time. And I guess it's interesting. So who are the people that are not acknowledging your disability? I think people who can get by without acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. There's See, there's a cost. See, in the old days, I'm just going to speak as I speak, is that in the yeah. old days, someone who was gay, if they came out, they could lose their job. Right. Mm -hmm. True. Uh, more than that, they could go to jail mm -hmm. in some places like in London. So there was a cost to come out. And so the people who did that work originally are heroes because they were willing to risk everything they had right. to be who they are. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that we need in the disability movement is mm -hmm. that same kind of movement. Because if someone can get by without claiming their disability, then there's a cost to claiming it. There's a cost. Certainly. I guess I'm just so curious who you're talking to. And I guess this is me taking it in the personal context, right? Both of us are having yeah. a conversation. I'm putting this into the context of what I know of my own existence and someone with generalized anxiety, but in an autoimmune disease, but I don't call myself disabled. So it's like, are you speaking to me? People like maybe me? that's what I'm at. Yeah. So that I'm like, maybe what if, yeah. you, if you feel like Okay, so does your autoimmune disease ever prevent you from doing anything? Yes. Okay, there you go. Mm -hmm. or, and my mental health certainly does. Yes. So mm. by claiming your disability, what would that do for you? You know, and you would have to think about that because you'd have to think about what that would mean. Mm -hmm. But you have to think about what does that prevent you from doing? And if you claimed your disability... How would that help you? You know that there's other people who would have your back, right? And mm. I just think that it's better when you're not alone. 
Cer- oh, certainly. Yes. I mean, to be out and be open, that's how you find community. And community is one of the most important things for our health. Thinking about mental illness, I think a lot of listeners would resonate with that. And there's so many people who have mental illnesses. And so, yeah, yeah, considering that as a piece of the disability definition, I think would even open it up to more people claiming that ownership and demanding, you know, the special accommodations and, you know, the basic accommodations that are needed. Yes, that's it. See, and it's in the ADA. It spells it out. Mm -hmm. It's there. But how many people don't want to say anything because they think, well, I can get by the way I am Hmm. and no one has to know. So I can pass. Think how much easier it would be for you if you could say to your employer, I'm assuming you're employed. You know, I need this. I need an extra two hours a week or three hours, whatever it is. Because yeah. I ha- I need these appointments or mm-hmm. I need this accommodation. I don't know what accommodations, but there might be that, that would make your life easier. And if you do a better job, if you can function better, then they're yeah, getting more bang for the buck. Yeah. And you're you're happier. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And that is why the ADA is such a big thing, because now employers have to be complicit with that. Right. And you have that yeah. power legally, which is huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. And it made such a big difference. And there's, yeah, many people that if they're not claiming their disability or maybe not getting the accommodations that they need and deserve. Right. Right. That's right. Hmm. Is there anything else that you feel like you'd like to say to listeners that you think they should know or hold space? Or I'll have a closing question I could kind of transition to, but I want to leave the space open for you. Okay. When I was publishing the magazine, Mm-hmm. And I was like insulated because I was publishing and my husband worked with me and we had people around us and, you know, and I was writing and editing things and about disability mm-hmm. and I was protected because I wasn't going out into the real world. I was in my little castle doing this publication. Mm-hmm. The real heroes are the people actually doing, going to get jobs, going to school, being parents. Mm-hmm. They're living their life and using all the stuff we work so hard to get. Yeah. Right. When I went to seminary, I realized it was very hard. Mm. And it was hard because of the discrimination that I was facing day after day after day. Yeah. It was it was painful. It shouldn't have been, but it was. Yeah. So I guess what I want to say is we need to applaud, literally applaud mm. those who are out there living their lives mm. because it's, it's hard. We need to thank them, give them a cheer. Because you're that person, right? Yeah. You are. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I do need to ask you one of the most important questions I ask everyone on this podcast <laughs> I always ask everybody, and I know, you know, we spend the whole amount of time talking about this, but specifically, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? I think people think they're not enough. I think normal is you are enough. I think that is, if everybody just claimed that normality, that they are enough. Yes. They are enough. What would that other? change the world 
Yeah. Right? Yes, and we're up against a whole capitalistic society that is perpetually telling you that you're not enough so that you spend more money, work harder to get more money, to spend more, to become something. So that's a big ask. But I think that work of beginning to believe you are enough and to know it, some of that at first takes a little bit of playing into a role that might feel unfamiliar. I feel like, right? Those first couple times you start to tell yourself you are enough, it's going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to feel fake. And you continue to push and lean into that. Mm. Okay. One of these things, okay, like you go into a store, right? And you have a budget, Mm -hmm. but, but all of a sudden you get this feeling like they think you can't afford something. So then you spend more money than you really wanted to spend because you can't, you don't want to be seen as less than. Mm. And so if we can claim our, we are enough, that doesn't play. And so think how much money everybody would save. They could only buy what they needed. I mean, needed Mm -hmm. and not. I mean, think how many people buy things because they they want to project a certain image. Mm. Boy, I'm talking anti-capitalism, aren't I? Yeah, um, I, d- I do love buying vintage dresses, though. It's so fun. There's so many things I don't need that I just buy for fun. I mean, this is fun. <laughs> well, that's different. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's not, it's, you know, what gives you joy? Yeah. Wearing you know? dress. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I think if we claim that in little yeah. ways first. Mm-hmm. then it'll grow on us to be yes. in big ways. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was great to have you and to hear from your wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you inviting me. If you enjoyed today's conversation, then subscribe for new episodes released every Wednesday and follow us on Instagram at Modern Anarchy Podcast, where we open up a dialogue about all of these topics. Otherwise, I'll see you next week. And a special thanks to one of my favorite artists, Your Smith, for the intro and outro song to this show.